From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. In this week's special episode, Bloomberg Tax senior reporter Allison Versprill interviews David Cotter, Assistant Treasury Secretary for Tax Policy at the Bloomberg Tax Leadership Forum. At this event, held at the museum in Washington, they discussed the policy guidance stemming from the 2017 tax law, international tax dynamics, and more. So first, I wanted to talk about some recent regulatory developments and things that we can expect heading into the end of 2019 and into 2020. Um, You know, firstly, starting with opportunity zones, which everyone, it's a big area that everyone really cares about. Um, So Treasury recently released a draft form that would require funds to disclose certain information to the IRS. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers have been pushing for even more reporting requirements. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, potentially strengthening reporting and if you support the legislative efforts on Capitol Hill um, and potentially anything else Treasury could do on that front. Sure. Well, the um, revised form, as you point out, was released a couple of weeks ago. And um, uh, we are as eager as any organization to understand the economic effectiveness of opportunity zones. Uh, When the IRS and Treasury release a form or uh, develop a form, it's really focused on tax administration. It's not focused as much on complete economic analysis of a particular provision of the Internal Revenue Code. Having said that, this provision is so important, we think, Uh, to parts of the country that are struggling economically, that we are happy to work with Congress uh, to try to develop reporting uh, guidelines that will allow all of us to evaluate the economic effectiveness of the um, Opportunity Zone. So uh, form, we think, that we put out goes about as far as we can go in terms of tax administration glad to engage with Congress and other stakeholders to see what else needs to be done and what needs to be reported. Some of the data, and again, I don't want to go on too long on this, some of the data that folks have asked for on the tax form really relates to social issues that are not part of the legislative structure. And uh, so we um, are glad to engage on that and talk about it. Some data can be gathered in in places other than on an IRS form, Mm -hmm. but um, uh, we're open to the discussion. It's a long answer, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's completely fine. Um, And also, you know, staying on opportunity zones for here for a second, I know recently you said that Treasury is hoping to get some of that that final guidance out before the end of the year. Um, Can you provide maybe any hints of what we might see? I know the EPA has asked for um, the clear guidance on brownfield sites, so those contaminated properties. So we've gotten extensive comments uh, from eight federal agencies and from tax practitioners and the mm-hmm. tax community with respect to opportunity zones. The package at this point is over 550 pages long. So we've taken the two proposed regulation packages, combined them into one, hope to issue that as a final regulation package before the end of December. Now, a little light holiday reading. <laughs> believe it when it happens, but that's the goal. And we, we, we are actively uh, attempting to get an extensive amount of guidance out within the next two months, hopefully a lot by the end of December, including opportunity zones, but uh, the rest by the end of January. Okay. And I know, I think uh, 163J was on that as well. So the, 
on that list of, I guess, hoping to get that out before the end of the year. It is. Uh, 163J is a little bit behind opportunity zones, but in terms of length, it makes the opportunity zones look like a piker. <laughs> so the 163J, as those of you who have to live with it know, is very extensive. It touches many aspects of the tax law and the economy and businesses. So it's been um, a really intricate process to get the international folks, to get the domestic folks, to get uh, all the other groups at IRS and Treasury uh, focused uh, and working together to develop an integrated package. And it's lengthy. So I'll apologize for the length. We've, we've really approached um, tax reform implementation with a couple of themes in mind. One is a sense of urgency. Things never move as quickly as you'd like, but we've tried to get as much guidance out as quickly as we can. Uh, that means sometimes uh, we don't cover everything that we'd like to cover. And I'd, I'd say with 163J, as lengthy as it will be, there will still be issues that people will identify that we haven't covered. Uh, so having said that, it's a high priority. Uh, we're working on it um, pretty much around the clock and hope to have it done, if not by the end of December, early in January. And just a, a reminder for everyone in the audience that the 163J uh, provision in the tax law is a limit on interest expense deduction for businesses. Um, and actually, staying on 163J, since that's another issue that people are <laughs> watching very closely, um, I know the manufacturing industry in particular has asked to be able to um, uh, apply cost of goods sold to taxable income for purposes of an, an interest expense deduction. Can you talk a little bit about what Treasury's thinking is on that uh, particular issue? We've spent a lot of time on that issue, and, and uh, since the regulations aren't out yet, I've, I've got to be careful not to uh, prejudge what that final regulation will say. But uh, I think uh, many folks who have, have suggested that uh, uh, we take into account a cost of goods sold concept will be um, hopefully uh, encouraged by what's in those final regulations. How's that for trying to <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, and so staying on regulations a bit, mm -hmm. but stepping away from the TCJA, uh, you know, Treasury recently released guidance under Section 385, uh, the earning stripping yeah. rules that were part of the Obama administration's broader effort aimed at cur uh, curbing corporate inversions. So, in that package, Treasury issued final rules removing documentation requirements uh, that taxpayers had said were overly burdensome. But one thing I found really interesting in those rules was that Treasury said it would continue to review that issue and potentially issue more streamlined documentation requirements down the road. Can you talk a little bit about where we are reviewing that and when we could potentially see any action if Treasury decides to take? Sure. So the 385 release that um, came out a few weeks ago has two components to it, Ali, as you point out. One is to withdraw the, uh, the, the uh, documentation regulations. Mm -hmm. it, there was general agreement that those regulations were overly burdensome, that they were extensive and required a, a, an inordinate amount of effort to comply. So we thought rather than let those regulations sit out there and defer effective dates and let people wonder, we would just withdraw those regulations, so uh, pull those back, and 
we issued us the second component, which is something unusual. Uh, the acronym is ANPRM. It's an announcement of a notice to issue proposed regulations. And what we're trying to accomplish with this is come up with an integrated ecosystem dealing with debt equity issues after TCJA. So when the 385 regulations were issued, there was no beat, there was no guilty, there wasn't a FIDI, FDII, there wasn't a 21% US corporate rate. And so trying to evaluate what is needed in order to prevent inversions, taking into account all the legislative change that's occurred in the last few years, and combine that with what sort of documentation would be um, appropriate in that ecosystem, we thought that we should solicit comments from the public about uh, what 385 should look like. So we're in the process of receiving comments. Uh, in the past, we've, uh, through all of the TCJA regulation projects, we've gotten, I think at this point, over 10,000 comments on various TCJA projects. And we've read every one of them, believe it or not. <laughs> Everything's been read, sometimes multiple times, and we're hopeful that we'll get extensive comments on 385. It is still in the formative stage. I think that's okay. the important message to everybody. It's not like we've got some um, idea that, that we're committed to and we're just trying to justify it. We are not. We're trying to figure out how all this fits together, and the more input we get, I think the better our next proposal will be. Got it, okay. And let's, I think we should switch gears a little bit now from the regulatory side, just for the interest of time, maybe circling back on some of that if we have some extra time at the end. Um, but let's talk about tax treaties. So the Senate in July cleared four protocols amending tax mm -hmm. treaties with Japan, Luxembourg, Spain, and Switzerland. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, there are obviously several that still need to be approved. Can you talk a little bit about Treasury's role in negotiations on Capitol Hill and getting some of those, uh, those approved? Sure, we have um, ongoing negotiations with three active treaties, Hungary, Poland, and Chile. Okay. And we are engaged in active discussions with the majority and minority staffs of Finance, Ways and Means, and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, trying to move those treaties forward. Right. So we are making uh, some progress Again, it's um, uh, steady uh, progress. Whether, I, whether when, when this gets done is unclear. Okay. It's highly unlikely it would get done before the end of December. We'd like to see it done before then, but the discussions are ongoing. They're headed in the right direction, uh, but uh, there's still a ways to go. And if that's just, is that just competing priorities right now for the end of year? It is, okay. yes. Well, and so another kind of non-regulatory issue, but something that people are obviously very interested in is the digital tax discussion. Um, obviously, France has uh, proposed this unilateral tax. Um, so I wanted to ask you about what's the latest on those discussions with the OECD and kind of coming up with a global solution. Are you, is Treasury currently sort of pleased with the direction those discussions are going in? Sure. The um, first thing I should say is that uh, uh, the administration adamantly opposes unilateral digital services taxes 
that are focused primarily on U.S. companies. Uh, we think the best way to resolve this issue is through multilateral discussions in the OECD. So we are actively engaged in those discussions. Uh, as you know, for those of you who were focused on this issue, there was a Pillar 1 consultation document issued several months ago. Week before last, the OECD issued what's called the Pillar 2 consultation document. This week, there is a public consultation underway in France at the OECD on Pillar 1. We have talked to dozens of companies uh, about uh, the digital services tax. And there are, there are many issues that, that are um, inherent in this discussion. And so there's the question of who's, who would be subject to the tax. And so there are, for example, uh, certain carve-outs that are proposed. Extractive industries, it's proposed, would be carved out. Um, it's also proposed that business-to-business -business, uh, organizations would be carved out. And so there are a number of other discussions as to who would be subject to it. And then once you decide who would be subject to it, the construction of this uh, OECD proposal with respect to um, uh, digital taxation uh, gets very uh, intricate and very, um, uh, I don't want to say controversial, just a lot of decisions would have to be made. Uh, the um, process is moving steadily forward. The discussions are regular uh, and uh, meaningful. Uh, the target date is the end of next calendar year, so the end of 2020, and we're optimistic that, that something will happen. Having said that, I've got a good friend who's got a great saying who says, I trust my mother, but I still cut the cards. <laughs> so I trust in this process, but I'll believe it when we can actually get it done. Well, and following up, you know, obviously France was kind of the first one with out the door with their unilateral tax. And I know that um, Treasury is currently in discussions with the French finance minister. And uh, Secretary Mnuchin had told, had told reporters that there was kind of a 90-day deadline in terms mm -hmm. of talks with the French uh, uh, finance minister about coming up with some sort of understanding on digital taxes. I believe that deadline is up this month. Um, can you provide any insights into where those discussions have led? If there are any, is there any sort of agreement? There, there have been a series of discussions, uh, both at the secretary level uh, with the French finance minister and at the staff level. We've had several of those discussions. The 90-day period runs out at the end of this month, toward the end of this month. Uh, in terms of the countermeasure discussions, that is primarily uh, a, a, um, within the jurisdiction of the U.S. Trade Representative. Mm -hmm. So they have been um, uh, focused on their analysis. There have been discussions within the administration between Treasury and USTR, uh, with the White House, with Office of Management and Budget. And um, I, I don't know that I can give you a specific timeline in terms of uh, announcing what the U.S. response may be and whether we've got an agreement with France by the end of uh, November. But um, 
the 90 days, and, and the 90-day period was basically an agreement that for a 90-day period, the U.S. would not impose countermeasures, but would engage in a discussion with France, and at the end of 90 days, would then decide uh, how to respond. Mm -hmm. So discussions have been uh, meaningful. Uh, they have been um, uh, substantive. Uh, I don't know that um, uh, uh, at this point we know exactly where everything is going to come out. So I think the 90 days will expire at the end of November, uh, and um, we'll see where USTR is at that point. Okay, well, it looks like Chris has some questions from the audience, so let's go ahead and... We have some questions for you. Um, the first one is that the asset management community, specifically related to private equity and hedge funds in regards to carried interest, is looking for clarity on the definition of a corporation. In your, opinion, in your opinion, does it include both C and S corporations or just C corporations? Sure. So uh, with respect to carried interest, uh, TCJA changed the treatment uh, for carried interest in certain situations. Uh, the IRS and Treasury issued a notice in the spring which said when we issue proposed regulations, the proposed regulations will take the position that the new three-year holding period applies to S corporations as well as individuals. That, that, that the, the carve-out in the statute for corporations was intended to apply to C corporations. So in a way, I, I'm, I'm restating uh, guidance that's already out there, but uh, we haven't changed our mind at this point on, uh, on that matter. Thank you. Where do you see opportunities for Treasury and IRS to deploy artificial intelligence in advanced data analytics and corporate tax compliance activities? Well, that's a great question. Uh, as some of you may know, I served as the acting commissioner of the IRS for about 10 months uh, while I was assistant secretary of the Treasury. And uh, uh, it, it is a fascinating, the IRS is a fascinating organization. And, and I think with respect to artificial intelligence, uh, there is a lot more that the IRS can do and is focused on in terms of applying artificial intelligence to identifying areas of non-compliance, both in the corporate arena and in the in individual area. Uh, the criminal investigation division, interestingly, is probably at the forefront in the IRS in terms of the use of artificial intelligence. And you see some of that, frankly, in the cryptocurrency uh, discussions and um, activity that's going on in the IRS. And, and one of the things, I'll ramble for a second, there is a lot of discussion about the amount of resources the IRS has, and there's no question the size of its budget has declined over time, and, and the IRS um, uh, could probably use more funds. Um, having said that, uh, given the role of technology today and artificial intelligence and just technology itself, the ability to, to analyze data that's on tax returns is different today than it was five or ten years ago. And so the use of that data, I think, means uh, that we can use technology to be more efficient and less intrusive with respect to issues identified for audit, the number of auditors that are needed, and the number of audits that are conducted. Thank you very much. So right. um, well, it well, looks like uh, our time is right, time right about up. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, I wanted to thank you again. Quick 20 minutes, but uh, a lot to 
to think about. It seems like it's going to be a very busy end of the year and into the beginning of 2020. Um, so thank you for taking time to, to chat with me. Thanks. Thank very enjoyable. Thank you. For more tax and accounting news, visit news.bloombergtax.com. And find us at tax on Twitter. Look for our next episode in two weeks as we'll be off celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday next week. That's it for this episode of Talking Tax. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Cases and Controversies is all about the Supreme Court. Oh, come on. Court. You know, come on. Well, I agree Be with serious. you. We sit down with leading practitioners and scholars to break down these cases. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up so I didn't have to. But, uh... <laughs> oh, I interesting, know that. Right? That is See? interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. <laughs> Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts. As always, check out the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. Ha, 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 ha.